The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan. Katie Taylor makes her professional debut in Ireland Saturday, where she's bidding to further cement her boxing legacy by challenging England's Chantel Cameron for Cameron's undisputed light welterweight titles in the tree arena. The bout marks a step up in weight and is an unknown for Ireland's Olympic gold medalist and is paved with danger. The 42.ie's Gavin Casey is back to preview the fight and we also chat about the magnitude of the occasion, how important this bout is to Katie's legacy and if her much anticipated rematch against Amanda Serrano in Crow Park will eventually go ahead. Gavin also gives his views on whether we will see Katie fight in America again and he also previews Saturday's undercard which features a number of exciting Irish prospects. The different chapters of the podcast are timestamped on YouTube and in the description below. Gavin, um, tell us, are you looking forward to it? I am, to a degree, yeah. There's always a separation between being an impartial boxing reporter and being an Irish sports fan, which everybody knows I am, right? Like, it's very easy to park it on the night or even in the lead-up to it when you're working the media workouts or the press conference or the weigh-ins, you know, yourself during fight week, you're kind of in work mode. But then as we record before any of that madness has started, uh, I still have the, the, the few little butterflies just hoping that the Irish athlete comes through, you know, and it's the same in, it would be the same in any sport, team sport, individual sport or whatever. And it is an absolutely mammoth challenge in front of Katie Taylor in the sense that well, actually, almost uh, virtually and literally, insofar as Cameron is a physically larger woman than she is. Katie Taylor is moving up in weight, only five pounds, but I can kind of contextualize that at a moment to challenge for Cameron's belts, all of which are on the line in Dublin. So Cameron is the champion in this equation. She's the light welterweight champion, undisputed, the same as Katie is at lightweight. And as much as it might feel kind of infinitesimal to be only coming up in weight by five pounds, Katie Taylor walks around at about 141, 142 pounds when she has her out of office set, so to speak. So she barely has a weight cut at all for this fight. And you can say maybe that's actually a good thing. Like she doesn't have to dehydrate herself, doesn't have to watch what she's eating so much, or she tends to do that anyway, right? And that's the way she's framed it or, or the way she did frame it when we spoke to her earlier in the week. But you compare that to Cameron, who's probably coming down from maybe, I don't know, more naturally 158, 160, something like that. You're just packing a lot more power into uh, into your frame. And yeah, like Cameron hits harder. Uh, she's fresher. She's younger. She's also unbeaten. Like there are a lot of things stacked in her favor, aside from the fact that she's going into the Lions' Den in Dublin in front of 9,000 feral Irish fans. Yeah, Gav. Um, so... so it- Tell us more. Like we know Katie, we know her. We know how she fights. You know, it's a traditional speed, intensity, quick get in, get out. You know, what is is Cameron kind of the same type of fighter? She's probably a little bit more. Um, how would I describe it? Like she's not as fast as Taylor is, but she probably does have as good a shot selection and what she is giving up in speed and speed of foot she probably makes up for in in some of her timing certainly in power um in a kind of a relentlessness as well 
and she's typically shown that she is a pretty good gas tank although she did fight uh, one of several common opponents with taylor jessica mccaskill uh, f- a fight in which she won um the, the undisputed title and or excuse me a fight in which uh yeah she defended her undisputed title and mccaskill came on strong in the second half of that fight after cameron had opened up a really big lead so that kind of gives me a little bit of cause for hope in that if Taylor was able to build an early lead herself and apply a little bit of almost mental pressure on Cameron, that maybe Cameron might find it a little bit difficult to to, uh, claw her way back into it. But she's a really fundamentally sound, technically good, physically strong, smart boxer, Cameron is. She's got pretty much everything you'd want in a a really good fighter. Um, I would say, like she's probably not the generational talent that taylor is and always has been but accounting for the fact that taylor turns 37 no offense mike later in the summer it could be argued that i mean it, it is factual that athletically her best days are behind her we've seen that right so yeah. even against serrano i remember we did this pod and beforehand i think i might have mentioned if the Serrano fight had happened two, two, two and a half years beforehand, I would have said Taylor wins that fight like maybe eight rounds to two. We saw how close it was on the night, and that's just age catching up to Taylor. And it makes it all the more remarkable that she survived in the manner that she did and finished the way she did against Serrano. And, and I do think age is kind of the leveler as well as size in this fight, in that I, I would say Taylor is a better boxer overall, but Cameron has physical advantages that can compensate for what are only minor deficiencies between them yeah and if if, if katie was she was struggling in the the middle rounds i think it, against uh serrano if, if memory serves me and if she went out and she was stopped that night you'd be thinking all right she's 36 she's she's done or whatever but she came on strong she f- found a second win like and uh she, she got the win in the end and it was a historic night in terms of uh this weekend gav is this like maybe it's not going to be it's not being painted as such a historic night but maybe will it be in the end like this is this is historic in the fact that there's going to be it's the first ever i think time in in boxing history that two undisputed boxers are going face to face in a professional boat and they're both unbeaten both undisputed and someone's oh has to go are we going to be thinking a couple of days down the line wow well, that really that topped Serrano, the Serrano fight, or uh, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I think it's especially special, pardon the, the clumsy phrasing, in so far as it's a fight or an event that Taylor has longed for for the entirety of her seven year professional career to be able to fight in Ireland. And that was a, uh, an, uh, an eventuality that didn't seem possible for an awfully long time for reasons out of her control including a gangland feud which people will be well aware of and uh, a management company connected to that gangland feud through its founder Daniel Kinahan and various security concerns around that Uh, it's a story for another day right but like even though Taylor had absolutely nothing to do with that she was unable to fulfill one of the last things on her bucket list really throughout like this historic glittering career and the the idea of her walking out at the three arena in front of the people that have supported her for years and years as she put it earlier in the week is is something that uh, seems to have gotten her blood really flowing and i think it's uh the spectacle alone is is an enticing prospect i, I think maybe the, the sense that it's not as historic might might be purely because 
that Serrano fight was a headliner at Madison Square Garden. It felt a little bit more unprecedented in that it literally was um, between two women, right? For for two women to headline at uh, MSG, and it was twenty thousand fans versus nine thousand fans, and maybe there was a bit more of a sort of a destinal sense as well to the Serrano fight in that they'd been on a collision course for six, seven years. Now Cameron has probably felt that way about Taylor for the what three, uh, four or five years of her own professional career um or maybe even is it six seven at this point i don't know but uh for taylor there have probably been bigger fish to fry along the way just in terms of name recognition and i'd say in ireland as well because cameron is only to the general sports observer or, or somebody who wouldn't follow boxing religiously is a relatively new name maybe it doesn't have the, quite the same lore as a serrano fight but actually in boxing terms i think it's as good a fight if not better it may not play out that way, but on paper as a matchup and considering the stakes and considering the challenge that Taylor is taking on and moving up in, in way to challenge for another champion's belt, uh, belts, um, it's it's every bit as good a fight. And, and to just to follow up on your point about it being like undisputed versus undisputed, it's never happened in the, the four belt era of professional boxing. There was a time, obviously, in the in the twenties and thirties, where there was just one recognized champion in every division, and you would have had Henry Ar- Henry Armstrong move up and challenge two other guys. But like to put into context how rare it is, even in the last seventy, eighty years, nearly at this point, um, you would have had like Carmen Basilio. I think it was nineteen fifty seven went up from welterweight where he was the reigning champion and challenged Sugar Ray Robinson, two of the greatest fighters to ever live, Ray Ray Robinson, the greatest fighter to ever live. And there have been a couple more, I was looking through it earlier, where they wouldn't quite qualify as being undisputed versus undisputed, but they were very close. Like Michael Spinks, people might remember, moving up in in the late 80s to challenge then heavyweight champion um, Larry Holmes, excuse me. But at that time, Larry Holmes had uh, relinquished his WBC belt and he'd never bothered with the WBA belt. He was recognized as the champion and Spinks was the champion at light heavy. So that was pretty close. But like in this one, there's absolutely zero asterisks or caveats. It's the owner of the four belts at lightweight fighting as the owner of the four belts at light welter, both unbeaten, no blemishes, no excuses, no BS. Winner takes all all cameron's belts right yeah yeah sorry yeah i mean if cameron beats taylor she doesn't also take taylor's lightweight belts but but in taylor's case if she wins she does get cameron's belts as well as so that would set us up either way that um even when when lose our draw for katie taylor saturday like the serrano rematch is still a possibility going forward like she'd still have those unified uh undisputed belts at lightweight yeah that would be the I'm not certain that it would be the aim if Taylor was to lose, and I guess we're we're into hypotheticals, and it would depend on the nature of the loss as well, right? Like if she got yeah, stopped, yeah, yeah. or if it was ugly, then you you probably don't go straight back in with Serrano. Maybe you never go straight back, or you never go back in with Serrano. If it was some sort of a narrow defeat, and you couldn't arrange a, a rematch for Cameron straight away, maybe you look at the Serrano thing and then look look for Cameron afterwards. But there's certainly the prospect of a rematch. I know for sure Serrano and our team are keen on doing that. And and interestingly, they've mentioned doing it in Ireland. Now, it's difficult to take at face value anything that camp says, really. Um, yeah. they, they've been known to pull the wool over our eyes and uh, the eyes of, of Taylor's team, right, for many, many years. But it is intriguing that they still understand that rematch to be tentatively penciled in for Ireland, which which would mean a, a return for Taylor to these shores which 
is something that, again, we wouldn't have expected over the past five or six years. In terms of uh, Saturday's fight, Gavin, it just goes to show Katie's mindset. Like, we've gone to so many uh, weigh-ins, press conference here at the stateside, and Katie's always talked she wants the big fights, legacy. In a way, like, you almost become it almost becomes repetitive and you don't really think about it literally. But like the the Serrano fight fell apart and she called out Cameron. It's not like a, a keep busy fight. This is a risky fight for Katie Taylor going up the couple of pounds. You touched on it earlier. Like it, it is a risk going outside your comfort zone, going up those couple of pounds. And it just goes to show it like her ambition, her determination to carve out a real, real legacy in the sport. Yeah, it's a great point that you make about it sometimes feeling repetitive. And I think if, again, if you're not sort of following the nuances or the minutiae of it, if you're more of a football or rugby or GA fan or whatever, maybe it feels as though every second fight at this point is quote-unquote katie taylor's greatest test but that actually if you kind of zoom out on it a little bit and and take that at face value that's quite an extraordinary thing that at nearly 37 she's still trying to push herself to the next limit up right not even in terms of weight but in terms of the jeopardy um and i think like her her legacy her greatness in boxing and in irish sport is untouchable now anyway right no matter what happens uh, this saturday night but I think it, it is that urge to try and find out. Uh, I guess she doesn't want to find out what her limit is. Like she could discover that on Saturday, right? But it's almost like insisting that she doesn't have a limit is what probably separates her from, you know, the vast majority of even professional sports people, if we're honest about it, and certainly the vast majority of professional boxers. It's funny, like you and I were having a conversation on on your balcony there after the Serrano fight last April and I kind of said to you like Katie Taylor's actually a bit of a lunatic behind it all like the most softly spoken composed woman ever and yet I think intrinsically there there is a kind of a madness to her like in in the best way possible and when we sat down with her back in March in Dublin where the fight was confirmed and there was a press conference with she's really hundreds of media like from ireland uk wherever else she sort of joked that as her ring walk song she should come out to maniac 2000 and i mentioned it again to her the other day and she was like yeah like it might be a bit much but when you actually think about it like it would in a way be fitting wouldn't it like there is uh, there are very few better descriptions of taylor than she's a maniac and um okay it might be potentially inflammatory it's such a banging tune you know people would be hanging from the rafters but um you know it it, it also would be pretty fitting what's uh what are her dangers saturday gab it's a higher higher weight which means basically she could get hit a lot harder couldn't she and if she gets caught yeah uh, absolutely like she's proven to have a, a pretty good chin but serrano did badly hurt her pursuit in 2019 and your neck of the woods hurt her as well i think natasha, natasha jonas kind of hurt Taylor a little bit albeit not as badly and she finished that fight very well and Cameron hits hard enough that like if she can land in combinations and and sort of I guess like uh, my concern from an Irish perspective would be because she has sort of like greater physical upper body strength you can sort of like win the clinches right you can kind of tire her opponent out a little bit more as you're wrestling and and trying to gain the ascendancy and then a more tired opponent becomes more susceptible to heavier shots anyway naturally so it's like i'm intrigued by cameron's game plan and the extent to which she tries to corner taylor cut off the ring 
and, and try to win those clinches, win those little wrestles and, and pare her down. And I would say that there have been fights where in the second half, Taylor has faded a little bit, particularly wars that have broken out between the first pursuit fight for sure. You can say like the middle round Serrano because like the first three or four rounds were so intense, then all hell breaks loose. But Taylor did regain her composure really well. But like they're roughly the same size, you know, it'll be a lot harder to kind of um, claw your way back into a fight from behind against a bigger, stronger opponent. Like, and um, that they are the concerns, Mike. And, and I guess like, you know, Taylor for all of her skills is quite hittable. Like she tends to defend more so with her feet and try to get out of dodge rather than have like exceptional head movement. And we also all know that she has a, a bit of a predilection for just hanging in the pocket a bit too long when she gets carried away with herself she wants to prove a point she always wants to prove to her opponent that not only can i outbox you but i'll actually outfight you as well and the thing is there are some fighters you can't outfight you know what i mean just given your own physical um limitations in terms of size so that would be a concern as well Nine thousand fans she claims she can't hear them but there is something in the electricity of an arena that can lead her into jeopardy at times i think Absolutely, Gav. So 9,000 people there. Back in the garden uh, last year, there was a very much a sense of the Irish, and I, I know there's a like, cohort of Irish here, that the Irish had arrived and Irish were in town, carnival atmosphere. Uh, do you expect the same Saturday? And I know there's rugby on beforehand. Do you, uh, what, what, what do you think the dynamics, the atmosphere, the ambience is going to be like around Dublin uh, leading up towards the fight? And uh, I think, is it sold out? I was checking earlier, tickets are hard to come by, so uh, that's great to see. Yeah, it pretty much sold out in minutes. Uh, ostensibly, there were a few floating around for like 700, 800 quid on resale, I think, afterwards. So I guess like technically not. 100% sold out but 99.99% and uh, as you mentioned the Champions Cup final is on in Dublin hours beforehand Leinster taking on La Rochelle so the dubs will be out in force anyway and a lot of people <laughs> from Leinster generally that'll have you know f- uh, 50,000 people there and then you have the fight a few hours later I, I it's an expensive day out if you're going to do both but what I'd say is it kind of reminds me of do you remember Paddy's Day 2009 when Ireland won a Grand Slam in rugby? I know rugby isn't necessarily your cup of tea, but then Bernard Dunn had that massive oh, fight right. with Ricardo Cordoba at the point, which is the same venue, obviously, the Taylor's fighting Cameron. And, you know, that little bit of a rugby boxing dovetail, it, it feels like it has the makings of a special day for Irish sport in general, unless you're a Munster fan, obviously, which I am. And uh, <laughs> and, it, and I think it could be, like, properly festive, um, particularly if she wins. Like, I was uh, anyone who's ever been to a gig at the Three Arena, like, when the 9,000 or so people are spilling out afterwards there's a there's a kind of a natural jubilance to that even if you've just seen a band or i went to see the always sunny podcast a couple of weeks ago you know and there's a kind of um listen when there's eight or nine thousand people walking in the same direction anywhere it's good crack but when on the rare occasion that it's after an irish person has done something amazing it will be even better so fingers crossed it is that sort of a night and it's not the case that people are just slumped into their pints and uh and drowning sorrows no you'll be covering it just to give you a just give everyone a plug there gab you'll be you'll have extensive coverage with the 42.ie you'll be uh, at all the media events no doubt this week weighing and reporting on the night yeah that's the plan anyway i'm uh, looking forward to it and i'm looking forward to it being over as well <laughs> no i lied or so saturday night <laughs> say again 
an all nighter Saturday night. We pulled, oh. we pulled off a few of them in our time together. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen, you know the scale. Like, um, I'll, I'll be, I, it could be an all nighter Sunday as well. Just looking at the work schedule, like it's not. Listen, not work's fault. I've kind of just stuck the hand up for for a few things I want to do afterwards. But um, listen, we can sleep when we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Gab, um, looking forward to that, of course, on Saturday. I think Katie Taylor is about four to six and Cameron's about six to four. So not quite 50-50, but I suppose uh, home advantage is with Katie Taylor. And just to mention there before uh, we uh, got on the call, Gab, I watched the matchroom have a very good documentary if everyone want, anyone wants to check it out. It's a preview of the fight Saturday night. Uh, it's on their YouTube channel. It uh, shows uh, there's some coverage of Katie up in Connecticut and just Cameron when she's training in Tenerife. So that's definitely one to check out. I'll put in um, a link under the description below. So Gav, Saturday, of course, Katie isn't the only Irish fighter uh, lacing up on Saturday. Can you go through some of the undercard for us, please? Yeah, it's a really exciting night for Irish boxing and Irish boxers. Um, uh, to be honest, the pick of them for me, I'll go through them all, but the one that sort of evoke something in me properly is Dennis Hogan coming home from uh, Brisbane he's a, a Kilcullen man from County Kildare uh, he's fought for a couple of world titles in the past he was absolutely robbed in Monterey against Jaime Munguia of Mexico three four years back and, and really should have been a world champion then he's picked up an IBO belt since which some would consider a world title some would kind of consider it more of a an afterthought sort of a belt but like regardless of what you think Dennis Hogan is um yeah, he fought, in Brooklyn. he fought in Brooklyn here before as well. Uh, he underperformed that time. And fair, in fairness, he's after bouncing back. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's based in Australia, isn't he, Gab? Yeah, he's been down Brisbane now, I'd say, 12 years. That Brooklyn fight was was against Charlo, obviously, Jamal Charlo, who he, Hogan was moving up to middleweight. And, you know, it was, to be honest, he I think he earned like half a million quid for that fight, paid, for, paid off his mortgage, went there to win, but was never going to win. Um, he's back down now at his his more regular weight against a, a fella called James Metcalf, um, who, Kid Shamrock, who he, I think he's got a bit of Irish in him as well, uh, Liverpool guy, the, he's 34, I think Metcalf is a slight favourite, but it, the reason why it, it, it sort of stirs something in me is just for so long, Dennis Hogan has wanted to come back and fight in Ireland, and there was never really the infrastructure around uh, Irish boxing to for him to be able to do it like if he was to headline maybe he could go somewhere like in Kildare uh, Crofts or somewhere and, and sell a thousand tickets or something like that but it just the, the um, almost like the industry hasn't existed for, for a fight of that size to be brought back here so here he is now he gets his opportunity because Katie Taylor is bringing a, a big show back to Ireland. And I'm delighted for Dennis and all of his family in Kildare that will get to go and watch him, uh, saving them from having to, you know, set alarms in the middle of the night or whatever. And just to go through the rest of the undercard, then you've got Kate Radomska, who uh, is originally Polish, but she is based in Waterford these days and she's training with Joe Ward, who um, is based over on the East Coast these days. He's doing very well for himself. And Joe's sort of been helping Kate for this fight with uh, Maze Rose Courtney, Maisie Rose Courtney, excuse me. And Joe's trainer, Jimmy Payne, is involved there as well. So uh, Radomska's 3-1. and one. Uh, She's coming off a loss, but it's a huge chance for her as well to, you know, fight in front of, um, yeah. fight in her adopted home country. And then you have... Thomas Carty, a Dublin heavyweight, he's in against Jay McFarlane. Carty, very popular guy around Dublin, and I'm glad to see him get this chance as well. 
really charismatic heavyweight and it's been a while since we've had an Irish professional heavyweight who apart from maybe Mike Perez the core Cuban obviously but like um yeah a while since we've had a an Irish guy knocking on the door in that division he's managed by Dillian White he's sparred with you know you name it Tyson Fury Joshua White himself got a little bit of pedigree about him so interesting to see how he goes uh, Keevan Ajarko from Belfast is back as well against Grant Dennis and an unbeaten American Ajarko hasn't fought in 10 months he had a, a hand injury and had surgery he's been itching to get back in I interviewed him quite recently and he's buzzing to go kind of feels like he's the forgotten man a little bit but like uh, the forgotten man of Irish boxing as he described it but he's 12 and 0 7 KOs uh, big matchroom prospect there was talk of him fighting Spike that's right yeah I would say to be honest it was never realistic for this undercard because Spike commands so much of a purse now that it just wouldn't be financially viable like he um, Spike's only living up around where I am here in, in Cork and uh, listen he's driving a nice car he's got a nice house he's done okay so he's not stuck like he's not going to accept pittance you know what I mean yeah. so yeah I, I mean it might be one for after this but I remember asking Keevan about it and he wasn't especially interested in it because, as he saw it, I'm a risk to Spike Sullivan, but I'm no reward. You know, he's kind of humble in his own way in that he was like, there's nothing in it for Spike to beat me, really. Whereas if he loses to me, it's embarrassing because I'm only a prospect. So he sort of understood if Spike wouldn't want it anyway. Then you have um, co-main event. I think that's the last one involving an Irish fighter. That's Gary Cully, also Kildare. Brilliant lightweight, up-and-comer. Um, he's starting to really land some concussive sort of shots he's knocking lads out he's 16 and 0 10 ko's uh big beanpole of a fella very um almost like thomas hearns like in his in his body composition i'm not comparing him to hearns the fighter obviously but has that sort of almost elastic power and uh very loquacious fella as well um has a lot of charisma and there's a lot of suggestions or has been that when Taylor does step away, it'll be Cully that will pick up the mantle and he'll be the one who can almost reignite the Bernard Dundays of old and start filling out the three arena again. So he has a, a pretty decent test in, in a guy called Jose Feliz, uh, who is 39 and 6 with one draw, I think. But he has 30 knockouts in those 39 wins. Um, and I think he's only 30 years of age, unless I'm mistaken. So he's not exactly like washed up. He's lost his last uh, two fights, but against very good opposition. Sander Martin from Spain and Tyrone McKenna from Belfast and both on points. So like good test for Cully at this stage of his career. And he'll bring up a big crowd from Kildare as well. And that's a wrap on the Irish side of the undercard. There's also a really good fight between Terry Harper and Cecilia Bracus. Bracus from Norway for ages was a prospective opponent for taylor she's she calls herself or she's known as the first lady because she was the first ever female undisputed champion and in fairness to her she plugged away long before the likes of taylor and Teresa shields came over from the amateurs she's sort of a more of a career-long pro and has carved out a really good career for herself and this is a, a real crossroads fight against harper a far younger english champion and one where you know probably it's um a chance for Bracus to get a last bit of recognition on a historic night for women's boxing with the headliner being, you know, two of the best to do it. She must be hitting 40, is she, Bracos? Am I wrong? No, you're down. No, no, I, I think I, she's a, she's past 40. I think she's 41. For, yeah. The, the knock-on effect here for, like, Katie, like, breaking those glass ceilings, becoming a, a world-renowned name is that we've got a huge night of boxing promoting other Irish boxers on Saturday night it just goes to show you like 
the boundaries sh- she has crossed. I remember it was 2018, 2019. I was doing a, uh, an interview with Brian Peters, her, her manager, and he told me straight up, he said, number one, Katie Taylor will go down as the greatest ever Irish athlete. And number two, she never box in Ireland. He said, never box in Ireland. I was like, why? Because the zone and everything. And it just shows you, like, obviously there was kind of some other reasons with the, the gangs or whatever, like, but... Uh, it just shows you like how far she has come. Like I don't, sometimes I don't think we really comprehend it as Irish people, like what she has actually done in the sport. It's just phenomenal. Do you know what's nuts, Mike? I was looking back over, well, I actually discovered it by accident. I was trying to find some of those undisputed versus undisputed fights that I mentioned earlier. Just like doing a bit of research, if you can even imagine such a thing. It's rare <laughs> for me. <laughs> and I stumbled upon one of my own articles, bizarrely, from 2018. And it was outlining what a Taylor versus Brackus fight would look like. So Taylor at the time, I think, was about to become undisputed at lightweight. Brackus was undisputed up at welterweight. And they were planning on meeting in the middle. Brackus had done an interview with the 42 you know, uh, acknowledging the need to come down and wait, blah, blah, blah. And like, I was saying like that, I said, I reported at the time, and it was true at the time, that that fight could be worth upwards of $300,000 to Katie Taylor. And that would be by far a record for a female professional boxer. And like, you look at it now, she's probably earning way over 10 times that for this fight. In the space of five years, her, her presence alone really has sort of inflated the market to the extent that slowly but surely a lot of female fighters are getting paid what, I won't say what they deserve because you could certainly argue that they still deserve more, even though it, okay, there's an extent to which it's a meritocracy as well insofar as like attention is currency in boxing, but like even they are getting so much more attention that they're starting to earn 10 times more than they did half a decade ago, you know, Uh, and that includes Taylor herself. And, um, you know, she'd probably be in the top... God, I'd imagine top 10, top 15 highest earning female athletes on the planet. And you think of the likes of Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams. I know she's retired, but I think she's still up there. And some of the women in in that kind of pay bracket, so to speak. And, uh, sorry, she wouldn't be quite on their level, but you know what I mean? She's in that kind of conversation now. And she's carved that out on her own. Like, And I guess what's all the more remarkable about it is that she blew down the doors in amateur boxing as well for women. You know what I mean? Like she's done this twice in the same career (laughs) or in two separate careers almost. And to Brian Peter's point about her being the greatest Irish athlete of all time, I don't really subscribe to that argument or that debate generally speaking, because I always think apples and oranges, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like a football player to uh, Sonia Sullivan or whatever. Right. But um, I do think, there would be a case to be made and there probably is one already that she could be the greatest Irish sports person of all time or, or, or personality, if that makes sense. You know, the, if you were to l- use almost the same cat- um, criteria as you would for a sports personality of the year award and apply it to the history of Irish sport, I think Taylor's cultural impact, her achievements, her sort of personality, if you like, in, in that she's she's always been so kind and, uh, you know, good around kids and things like that. She got it she's got to be in in that conversation at least which i think is one you can have quite fairly so the of serrano gab can you see is this going to happen in a couple of months time regardless of what happened saturday that rematch is going to happen and i think you you had some uh inside scoop as to why it didn't materialize uh the last time bit of a jake paul influence there maybe 
Yeah, I don't, it's hard to know. Like, um, I, I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess he did probably pull the plug in it. They cited injury at the time, and in fairness, she'd come through ten really brutal rounds against Erica Cruz in February. That was a night then that Taylor came into the ring and match re- announced the rematch for Dublin, and it was also around the time that Croke Park had been discussed, but the arse had fallen out of that, so the whole thing felt a little bit anticlimactic and. I would totally accept the possibility that Serrano had picked up a few knocks in that fight and didn't feel as though she'd recover in sufficient time to have a full camp to be able to prepare for a a Katie Taylor fight in Dublin. But I also think there might have been a case where she looked at what had been promised all along, fighting in front of 80,000 people at this like generational event for women's boxing, the biggest ever women's boxing event and to be honest one of the biggest boxing events ever right and then suddenly she's being told actually we're moving it to a 9,000 seater indoor arena in Dublin maybe she just said you know I'll leave that off um and or at least maybe that's what her team sort of swayed her towards and she's fighting Heather Hardy now instead who's an Irish American from Brooklyn uh they've already fought like they fought in 2019 and Serrano should really have stopped Hardy in the first round Hardy did very, very well to survive all 10 rounds, but it was an onslaught. Like, And Hardy now is 41 years old, Like, and, and with the greatest respect to Heather, who's a phenomenal woman and, and has a, an amazing story and uh, has done an awful lot for women's boxing. I would say she doesn't have business being in the ring with somebody like Serrano at the moment. And I, I say that hesitantly because I also, would, you know... I'm aware that Hardy has like a teenage daughter that she has to provide for. You know what I mean? So I don't say it with any judgment. I say it more so with, with trepidation or concern. But that's such a come down from what, would, what should have been the Taylor Serrano rematch. As to whether or not it happens next, I think that is sort of outcome dependent this Saturday, Mike. And, you know, if I was Brian Peters or the people steering Taylor's career, I would imagine given the sort of fight that I expect to play out this Saturday, I would be probably just trying to steer her clear of Serrano for another few months, maybe take one fight in between because, God, like, the body doesn't be uh, recovering quite so quickly at that age, you know? First of all, I saw that, I remember watching that uh, Hardy-Serrano fight and Hardy got beat up bad. And if you think Katie likes a scrap, Hardy absolutely loves a scrap. And in fairness, she's back in. She's someone I'd like to get on the, the podcast, given her uh, Irish roots. But um, in terms of that uh, Serrano second fight, Gavin, do you think uh, the reason it kind of fell apart, her and blame and security costs, do you think that's all? That's the real story behind it, number one? And number oh, two? Sorry, the Croke Park thing, is it? Yeah, do you think is he... I know there was the government were supposed to give money and then her and pull the plug. Do you think he's just trying to, trying to get more, squeeze more money out of the Irish government and get costs down? Is that... No, that was that was the sole reason, but I would say he wasn't without justification for trying to do that because Ireland is a more expensive business to do country and then England in boxing terms and in a lot of other terms. So if you look at the argument that played out between Peter McKenna, who's the director, uh, the commercial director of Croke Park Limited, and Hearn, uh, McKenna claimed that, I think... Oh, geez, it's so long ago now, I can't think of the exact figures, but basically, did McKenna say that it was it cost €400,000, I think, to rent Croke Park? But that's the that's what Croke Park would describe as the rental charge, but the bill comes with a hell of a lot more things, and it would have wound up costing Matrim by the end about €1.2 million. Um, Euros I'm talking about, I believe. Uh, again, I'd have to go back and check the notes. like, But 
So her and, uh, whereas Wembley, for example, costs £300,000 all in. You know what I mean? So there's a massive right. difference in those in those two um, rental costs, if you like, or, or the cost of doing business in either ground. And a lot, like, Hearn uh, was in dialogue with the Irish government. One complication that transpired was that we had a changeover of ministers, a changeover of government, really, um, in which case suddenly uh, Brian Peters, who was obviously doing a lot of the heavy lifting on that front in Ireland, was dealing with a different sports minister who wasn't all fay with the previous sports minister's discussions on this sort of thing, and the whole process had to start again. Um, another complication was actually the, the aforementioned rugby game being on in Dublin that same day. That meant that the government felt they couldn't really justify giving a grant to support the Taylor fight in Croke Park because already hotel rooms are going to be booked out. How can you justify, uh, you know, almost inviting 80,000 extra people on top of the many thousand extra people that will already be there for the rugby when the city infrastructure can't even support that number of people to begin with? So, like, there were a lot of... Um, I, there, there were a lot of complications that I would say were avoidable. Like, for example, why not do the fight on a different bloody date? Um, but equally, Hearn did have... I would say, you know, for example, what the money he was looking for for the government wasn't going to be a handout. It was that he was going to request that they subsidize the policing costs for the event the way they would do for an All-Ireland final because the way Brian Peters, Eddie Hearn, etc. saw it as uh, being was like an, uh, Taylor Serrano at Croke Park would be like a national sporting event the same way an All-Ireland hurling final and All-Ireland football final would be. So why not help us out that way? And that will take some of the edge off. But because of the changeover in ministers, because of the complications I've just mentioned, not even that was possible. And therefore, Hearn was like, all right, well, then we're not doing it in Croke Park. And that's how it wound up in the three arena. Um, and I would say, as I mentioned earlier, that might have played a role then in Serrano just pulling out of the rematch altogether. was that like there was a sense of anticlimax for her as well. Taylor, by the way, didn't care about any of this, really, which is kind of <laughs> remarkable. I mean, she, she's fielded a lot of questions about Croke Park over the last while, but the day when it all sort of blew up and Hearn started saying, in New York, actually, that, no, we're not going to Croke Park, it's fallen through, etc. And then um, the following morning, I think McKenna, Peter McKenna was sort of addressing the media about Croke Park's accounts, etc., separately. So it was a massive national story in Ireland, if people are, are listening while living over there. But... Taylor didn't find, about, find out about Croke Park falling through until the night it fell through. And it had fallen through in the morning, like, you know what I mean? It was a full 12 hours she was sitting down for dinner. That's when she found out about it. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't really pay attention to these things. So it, I, I don't even know why she especially disappointed. Her main prerogative was just to fight in Ireland. That was all she wanted yeah. to do. The, the kind of um, pomp of a Croke Park versus the, the more modest surrounds of the three arena were other people's problem as far as she was concerned what month can you see it happening would it be like a september date i i don't know i i, I the thing is I, I couldn't say with any conviction that it even will happen you know what i mean i'd be bsing it if it was to happen would you would, would you think that she'd hang up her gloves at that point or do you think do you see her going like till she's 40 or what's your what's your own hunch i don't know i guess one of the interesting things to kind of monitor over the last couple of years of, of speaking with her and hearing her speak to other people is that her own answer to that question probably um incrementally gets more like incrementally leans more and more towards 
the end but but without explicitly saying so uh, it feels like two three years ago she was like oh i feel as fresh as ever uh, i want to fight for another 10 years she said at one point when she was like 35 um then it, it sort of morphed into like i know i can't do this forever but i feel as good as i've ever done and i want to keep going i want to keep being in the big fights and the other day again it was a little bit more like i'm just going to i still feel as good as ever but i'm just going to take it fight by fight I still want to be in all of the big yeah. fights, but there there was a sense of maybe the the walls closing in a little bit. And in fairness, like you know, it is the role of the people around her as well, both management and family and things like that, to put the hand on the shoulder one day and say, "Look, you are better off out of this now." You know what I mean? But she is still performing at a world class, like elite level. A level never before seen in seen in women's professional boxing. So you can understand then why, if she's earning, I don't know, four or five million quid for this fight or whatever, you know, would you would you walk away from the next one? You know what I mean? Like, if you feel good and you're earning coin, do you just walk away on a whim? Probably not. So my big fear has always been that she'll just keep going until she gets like convincingly beaten, and then maybe gets beaten in a rematch or something like that. And look. Uh, on paper that's a sad way to go out but also is it really maybe that's maybe to agree to a degree that's the way a champion goes out all the time you know like even in if you look at the nba playoffs going on there or whatever there there does often be a handover from one great franchise to the next or whatever so um i look let's just hope it's not this saturday night to begin with yeah (laughs) and there's there's always the what if i didn't have that next fight or i could have you know you're better off finding the out but then of course it's so so precarious it's so dangerous when you're talking about boxing but that brings me to another last question gab so like another hypothetical do you think our days with seeing katie in america fighting in america are now done is next fight going to be croaker now that they're there are we ever going to bring her back to to the garden do you think I know she wants to fight in Vegas. She wants a big fight in Vegas. And I know that that was sort of a backup plan to Dublin if Dublin had fallen through, where maybe you get on to an MMA fighter like uh, Chris Cyborg, who I think is with Bellator. I don't really follow MMA, but the ex-UFC champion or certainly UFC star. And she's, you know, a, a competent boxer. Get in for Get her in for a kind of a crossover fight in Vegas and earn a lot of money between them and they might still do that because again after this fight like i you know i, I would suggest you probably need a, a i don't know if chris cyber could be described as a soft touch but certainly not a 50 50 sort of a fight or a 60 40 as you described it being a while ago um so vegas is, is still a possibility whether she goes back to new york or not I, I genuinely don't know it's hard to kind of see beyond just saturday for the time being but i would say certainly not finish in america and like I would say it's more likely that she fights again in America than she fights again in Dublin I put it that way all right okay all right Gav we'll leave it there just you're doing an interview there in a couple of minutes just uh, do you want to plug that in so we can keep a keep an eye out for on the 42.ie oh thanks a million you're very good yeah I'm well I'm due to speak with Kaylee Reese who's um uh well a former uh world champion herself she was one of oh, she was Taylor's first sparring partner as a professional I think uh, a Native American, uh, well, half Native American, half Cape Verdean, uh, now light welterweight. She was in a tournament where the winner was going to be fighting against Katie Taylor, and it was meant to be her and Chantel Cameron in the final of that tournament, but she had to pull out. Um, she cited health reasons, etc. But since 
she's gone on to uh to bigger and better things you could argue because she's now the co-lead in the new season of true detective on hbo alongside jodie foster so she has a little bit of an acting background fascinating uh, character and i actually you know uh, it's it's the sort of story that kind of really gets you going as a writer but i haven't written it yet and i haven't even spoken to her yet so i'm just like oh i hope she picks up actually <laughs> we have it organized but i'm like don't don't burn me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i know the feeling i know the feeling so is that out next yeah. week will that be out later this week will it or yeah it's 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 scheduled for well um it's penciled in for sunday morning irish time so if you check the 42.e on sunday morning and it's not there just know that kaylee reese burnt me <laughs> It's nothing to do with anything else. I didn't. I didn't go out on Saturday night. She burnt me. That's it. <laughs> All right, Gab. Gab, thanks a million. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast, or visit our website, thelonghaulpodcast.com. We'd appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to the podcast. This would ensure that we can get even more episodes to you more often Slongafall and thanks for listening and when we got inside the house the drinks were passed around the liquor was so awful strong my head went round and round to me away you santi my dear annie oh you new york girls can you dance the polka to me way you santi my dear annie